This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today our very special guest is the beautiful and talented stage, film, and television actor and leading lady, Cynthia Dale. One of Canada's most acclaimed and sought-after performers, Cynthia Dale is a true and veritable triple sensation, garnering rave reviews as an award-winning actor, singer, and dancer on stage and on screen. Cynthia has been working professionally since she was five years old when she began her career in a production of Finian's Rainbow at the Royal Alexander Theatre in Toronto. She has since worked extensively in theatre from New York to Stratford and on screen in countless film and television productions. Cynthia began working in television as a young child performing on beloved shows like The Tommy Hunter Show and Wayne and & Schuster and in many CBC variety specials. At the age of 11, she played the role of the young Emily Carr in a musical special about the life of the Canadian painter. Her film and television credits, of course, as I'm sure all of you know, include eight seasons as Olivia Novak on the highly popular Street Legal. Other credits include Moonstruck, Boy in Blue, Heavenly Bodies, Barnum, and Made in Canada, just to name a few. And Cynthia was actually the only female judge for two seasons on Triple Sensations, along with Garth Rubinsky and Marvin Hamlish. Wow, what a gig that must have been. She also starred in and co-produced for CBC the musical film Christmas Dreams. She spent 12 seasons with the Stratford Festival, and her credits are so impressive, I just have to list them here. So here goes. Cynthia played Charlotte Malcolm in A Little Night Music, Fosca in Passion, Outside Looking In Concert Production, Myra Arujal in Hay Fever, Red Queen in Alice Through the Looking Glass, Dorothy Brock in 42nd Street, Edith Ebert in My One and Only, Nellie Forbush in South Pacific, Maggie in Hat Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Sarah Brown in Guys and Dolls, Reno Sweeney in Anything Goes, one of her all-time favorites and mine, Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady, Maria in The Sound of Music, Aldonza in Man of La Mancha, beautiful performance of Annie Sullivan in The Miracle Worker, Bianca in The Taming of the Shoe, Guinevere in Camelot, The Mikado and The Gondoliers. Other theater credits include Charity Valentine and Sweet Charity, Love Loss and What I Wore, Syncopation, Tamara in New York City, Dames at Sea, and Pal Joey, for which she won a Dora Maver Moore Award at the age of 24 for Best Actress in a Musical. And... Most recently, a heartbreakingly beautiful performance in Fun Home through the Mervish series that made me weep. With three albums of well-loved show tunes under her belt to dream, more, and enchanted, she is also a recording artist. In recent years, Cynthia has done concerts across the country with the Kitchener-Waterloo Symphony Orchestra and the National Arts Orchestra. Cynthia has a star on the Stratford Bronze Star Walk of Fame, an honorary degree from Fanshawe College, and an honorary Doctorate of Laws from McMaster University. 
Cynthia was also featured recently on the cover of Zoomer magazine with a beautiful photo shoot and a wonderful article. Cynthia, it's truly an absolute honor to have you here on the program. Welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Hi. <laughs> I know that was long, but it's so, so well deserved. You've done all of that work. Yeah, makes me tired just thinking about it. <laughs> you started at five years old. In yep. Finian's Rainbow, your mm-hmm. mother took you much like Mama Rose and Gypsy, mm-hmm. you and your sister Jennifer, to an audition. And my sister Loretta, yes. And your sister Loretta. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think this was also prompted by your beloved dance teacher who saw something in you even at five years old. I don't know if she necessarily saw something in me at that point. She saw, I, I, you know, I, there was a whole pile of us who went and auditioned and I was just a little kid with a big voice. And... Uh, um, yeah, you know, it, it, it started the ball rolling, I guess. Carmel Quinn, a, a famous Irish um, leading lady, played the lead in Finian's Rainbow, and she just passed away about two weeks ago. Um, and reading the obituary in the New York Times, um, it was so, it was just, it was amazing to read it and just to remember. And there were the two littlest girls in that show, in Finian's Rainbow, at that time in 1965, were me and Molly Johnson. Yes, yes. But both of you have gone on to have wonderful yeah. careers. So. Uh, both sort of stayed Quite with remarkable. Yeah. Do you remember that first time on that Royal Alexandra stage and what it felt like? Well, I have told this story before. Um, so, but uh, um, honestly, I mean, I remember things like the backstage. I remember the concrete stairs running up and down the concrete stairs. I remember going underneath the stage. You used to be able to go underneath the stage to get front and to um, out to the front of the house and stuff. But I remember standing on the stage, downstage, stage left, and I remember looking in the orchestra pit, and I can remember thinking how cute the drummer was. <laughs> now, why at five did I think so? So he must have had a nice face that I thought was friendly. And, uh, you know, I thought that, that, I don't know why I wasn't focusing on what was going on on stage <laughs> at that point, as opposed to what was going on in the orchestra pit but uh yeah that's, Great, that's you know? so adorable so you were raised in the toronto suburb of etobicoke and as i mentioned you had this very loving and supportive and encouraging mother who was a bit like mama rose your dad was a car dealer did you feel that you missed out you had you were a working actor from the time you were five mm-hmm. you did 75 commercials you played the young Emily Carr at age 11. Uh, you were a fixture at the CBC at 90 Sumac. Did you feel you were missing out or did you sort of feel that maybe you were, you were special because you had this wonderful career? Um, no, I don't think I, I don't think I ever looked at it as I was special. Um, I was lucky and I was, I was happy. Um, the only thing that was unhappy about that life was going back to school and being made fun of. Um, and being bullied because I was different. I hated being in school for that reason. I hated the way the teachers treated me. I hated the way the kids treated me because, you know, kids make fun of what they don't understand. And they, they couldn't really figure out how they could see a kid sitting beside them at school and then they could go home and see them on the TV after school. What was that about? Like, that was just weird. I mean, we're talking the early 60s too. It was not like... 
television, the world of television and lots of kids, you know, Disney Channel didn't exist. That that kind of world that, you know, we've all seen. Um, so it was just weird what I did in a way and what kids could see me in. Um, so that was the hard part, not being in the business. That was a joy. That was, I was treated with respect. I was treated like, like I should have been there, you know, it was a job and I loved doing it. Um, and I had a really good work ethic that was sort of drummed into us definitely by our dance teachers, for sure, the discipline of dance. But yeah, the hardest part was going back to school. Going back to school. And I don't know if people realize this. You were predominantly first a dancer, but you danced every day after school. Even, you know, you could have been working a full day on one of these gigs, on one of these 75 commercials that you were in, but you went to dance class every single day. And I just think... Well, it's just what you did. I mean, it, it, all of us, all the kids did. I, I, I mean, in our family, we all just went, we did ballet, tap and jazz, and we did them after school every day um, and on Saturdays. Um, you know, some ki kids are hockey families or gymnastics families or, you know, uh, piano families. We were a, a dance family. That's what we did. Um, and yes, I, I danced all the time and I but I sang in all the shows I did at the CBC. Um, but it wasn't until I sort of got older and uh, I finished my first season at the BAMP School of Fine Arts when I was 17 and um Maybe it was the next year I went back and the head of the BAMP School of Fine Arts said to me, Cynthia, you'll never be anything but a dancer. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, boy, did and, we ever prove her wrong? Yeah, well, it, and it, it was a man. And, it, and, it, and I remember it was like a gut punch and not a, not a kind thing to say to a young performer, you know, because you don't know what that performer is going to turn out to be or do. Um, <laughs> But I, I knew I needed to work on my voice and I knew I needed to learn how to act properly. And I and I and I knew I needed those in my arsenal to 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 really become the kind of performer I wanted to be. Well, you certainly became a triple threat performer. And the first time you stepped on the Stratford stage, the Stratford Festival stage in 1983 was a production of Gondoliers. You were playing a chorus girl, a dancer, and you fell into the orchestra pit, breaking your heel out. <laughs> And somehow managed to complete the season because you didn't really let on exactly what had happened. And you watched many of the rehearsals from that front row. What was that like? My goodness. It, it was weird. And I don't think I would have got away with it now. I mean, I begged the hospital not to tell the, the theater <laughs> how bad I was hurt. And, you know, I can remember I would I was I had to walk with a cane for weeks and I would walk into a store in Stratford or something and someone would say, oh, you're the girl who fell in the orchestra pit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I am. <laughs> and let me get out of here. Um, yeah, it was an interesting time. Um, and, I, you know, it was great because I got to work with Brian McDonald. And even though I wasn't an operetta singer by any stretch of the imagination, I had fallen in love with Brian McDonald, who was the director and choreographer. I fell in love with his works when I was at the BAMP School of Fine Arts. He did a he did a major production of Tam Diddle Lamb, which was a Canadian ballet that I just loved and I desperately wanted to work with him. And I'd written letters and tried to get an audition for Stratford and luckily enough I did. And I got to work on my voice, being one of the tall ones, uh, uh, dancers that was put in the back row, I guess also because I had a broken heel. Um, uh, I got to sing, you know, and work on my voice for 10 months of the year. And that was a really wonderful thing for uh, to do. Well, you parlayed that into becoming a leading lady at the Stratford Festival for 10 years under the tutelage and under the beautiful angel wings, if you will, of artistic director 
Richard Minette, who you've said has always been sort of an angel on your shoulders. And in 1997, you graced the stage as the leading lady, Guinevere and Camelot, beginning really a 10-year reign. And I have to call it that at the Stratford Festival. What was that like to really finally step into your full self, as it were, your full calling as a triple threat performer doing, let's start with that role so magnificently. Uh, well, you know, it, it, it had come at, after Street Legal and it, it had come after Taking the Falls, this other ill-fated series that I did after Street Legal. Um, and, you know, he called me out of the blue. Um, I'd always, we'd always known each other. Um, uh, mainly because my sister had worked with him at the Stratford Festival and I had always loved him and his work. I had seen everything he'd done, I think, and or at the festival and even off the festival stages. And he just and he said, do you want to come and be my Gwen Guinevere? And I had always been an um, Arthurian legend fan. And so to be asked this, it was like this incredible little gift. And then, then to find out that Tom McCannis was to play Arthur. Oh. And then to meet Dan Shamroy, who was to play Lancelot, you know, on our, on our first day of rehearsals. And it was this gold-tinged, incredible time. Um, the joy of... Uh, you know, they were they it was a year where they were um, redoing a lot of the theater of the festival stage. And so the first time we were ever allowed in the theater was about three weeks into rehearsals. And I remember I, uh, I, I could just I could just cry just thinking about it. It was it was so amazing because when I had been there. 20 years before, I think, or whenever doing the Gondoliers Mikado, it was at the Avon. It wasn't at the festival stage. So I'd never been on the festival stage before. And so to be there and to sit in the house and look at that stage and, and then have him teach me how to perform on that stage was uh, one of the greatest gifts of my life. Wow. He was an angel on your show. I knew Richard Manette as well. What a wonderful man. Um, just from my days as theater critic and, and having a, a show about the theater. And uh, he, he adored you. He loved you. He truly was. So he probably still is an angel on your shoulder. He is. He is. Totally. In fact, he gave me a ma uh, Magnolia, Maggie Magnolia, for uh, the opening of, Mag of Cat in the Hot Tin Roof for Maggie. And... Uh, it's in my garden. And this is the first year that I had to do take cuttings off and they're in my house. And uh, <laughs> uh, gonna cry. Um, and, and, and she's opening today. And so like, I was about to take a picture just this morning of my Maggie Magnolia for, for Richard, because every year um, it, it, that is my, my Richard, um, my Richard tree. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's just amazing talking about him today of all days when I was just, you know, she's in my house, the Maggie Magnolia too. Isn't that lovely? Meant to be, right? It, it is, those things are always meant to be. In 2002, you said, my ruby red tap shoes seemed to be fulfilled when you were starring, my goodness, as Eliza Doolittle and My Fair Lady. The reviews were wonderful. You were absolutely breathtaking. I saw that show. And for me, and I'm sure for many... It was the culmination of so much of your talent and your work was this performance back in 2002 when you starred as Eliza Doolittle, My Fair Lady. And you were, Cynthia, you were ethereal, enchanting and exquisite in that role. You floated on the stage. I remember that thinking, 
wait a minute, what's happening here? She's floating. Is she human? Uh, can you take us back to that festival stage at Stratford when you played Eliza opposite Comfior? There were a few Henry Higgins, which we can talk about, but initially Comfior as Henry Higgins. Was that one of the dream roles of a lifetime? It was absolutely, absolutely it was. Um, I, I have visceral memories of sitting on my bed uh, growing up uh, singing the, those songs. Um, so, so to have that opportunity and... Um, you know, like Sound of Music wasn't a dream role, never was a dream role. And yet I loved doing the part when I finally, you know, was convinced to do it. Like, I'm really happy I did that. But I, I very shyly approached Richard um, when I heard that they were doing My Fair Lady and said, I really want you to consider me for the part. <laughs> And he was like, what are you talking about? I'm doing it for you. And, and so it was like, I, I, I had no idea. So, so yeah, it was, um, it was a dream. It was a, a, a dream of a lifetime for sure. And working with the different Higgins, Colin Fiore made me a better actor. You can't work with someone that phenomenal and he not make you a better actor. Um, and Grant Wynn Davies had been a, a friend for years and someone I'd never got to do that kind of thing with. And so the joy of that, um, working with him for the months that I got to work with him, um, Richard was supposed to do it, but he uh, he couldn't. He just, it, it was too overwhelming. And I got to only play that part with him one night. He did one show. Um, um, but, uh, you know, everything happens for a reason, I guess. And yeah, that experience and that show and that uh, time um, was uh, magical. I, I literally, I, I'm looking right at the picture of me and Richard. Oh, uh, my goodness. Yeah. My goodness. I have a picture of you too. What was it like wearing those costumes, the white gown and the... The costumes. I mean, this is Stratford where everything is precision and detail and we can stand alongside anyone in the world. We really always have been able to stand alongside any theater in the world. And those costumes, that costume department, was that just a thrill to even wear those costumes as Eliza? Yes. Yeah, no. And the hats, the lady who made the hats, she actually lives across the street now for me now. But the, the hats and the black and white outfit, you know, the, the, the oh. in the horse race scene. I mean, like it was it was uh, it was a um, it was a, just a, like beyond, a beyond the beyond moment for me. Yeah. But wonderful. And for us and for us and, as audience members as well. You always said that you had angels looking out for you. And there was one such angel that convinced you to do The Sound of Music and play Maria. And you've described that as well as one of the epiphanies in your career. Can you tell us what made this one of your favorite parts ever to play and what that experience was like for you? Well, I just had my boy, um, Willie, and I just thought, oh, well, I don't care if I ever work again. <laughs> The only thing I ever wanted to be in my life is as a mother and be with my boy. And um, and I'd never, like I said, I never thought about doing sound music. It was never really on my radar. It wasn't sort of one of the dream roles. And, and I'm so glad I did because to play a woman who follows her bliss, she follows her bliss. That's really what Maria does. She follows her bliss over the mountains, literally. <laughs> Right. Um, and 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 that was a beautiful gift uh, to play that 
for 10 months and to have that energy and uh, life force through me. It was great. Uh, so incredible. And you were adored and loved in that role as well. Well, and I we got to all- tell you, you know, you made a comment before about, you know, when we were talking about sound music, you were talking about the reviews and stuff. Like I never read reviews for 10 years. <laughs> I never read reviews ever. <laughs> ever 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 and but what would happen and i there was like a rule you know for the day after opening that a company member couldn't come in and sort of look at you and go hi how are you 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 weren't allowed to do any of that stuff but you know you'd be walking to the theater and and walking to the theater i remember in sound of music and yes it was a massive success and it was i think one of the most successful shows they've ever had here that production of sound of music and I remember walking to the theater one day uh, to go to the show and some guy was gardening out the front of his house and he said, it doesn't matter what the reviews say. I thought you were great. Oh dear God. Oh, well, you know, there you go. Okay. <laughs> so much for that. <laughs> so much for not reading the reviews, you know, yeah, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, I saw it and you were, you were absolutely incredible and, and really magnificent in that role as well. And I know for you, this was a real career highlight, a lesser known play, but one that was very close to your heart was the Sondheim piece, Passion, a one-act musical with music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim and book by James Lapine, who, and you performed this at the Studio Theatre at Stratford for, I think it was just six or eight performances. And in a review, they said this, I love this review, Cynthia Dale ignites the stage in Passion. At its center is a towering performance from Cynthia Dale that is so raw, so bare, so burning with emotion. It sweeps the Stephen Sondheim's James Lapine musical into the realm of spine tingling theater. She's created the defining role in this musical. What made this one of the highlights of your career, Cynthia? Uh, well, anytime you get to sing Sondheim is, is, you know, a highlight, right? Um, and, uh, she was vulnerable and, and sad and, um, angry and ugly and beautiful and lost and, and in love and, you know, and love touched her in a way that nothing had ever touched her in her life. And so... Um, you know, what are the things in your world that rock you? That one that rocked her and to play someone that is so rocked to the point of dying almost. I mean, she dies almost, you know, the love is that deep for her. Um, She's that sick. And it was just, uh, you know, we didn't put any warts on her. I didn't do a unibrow. I didn't do any of the clear of classic things that people sort of think about with 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 Fosca. We didn't do any of that. Um, uh, it was just um, it was one of the hardest hardest pieces I've ever ever done, um, and and so one of the most rewarding. And you killed it. You absolutely killed it. That was one of your, another defining role for you. We're going to find out what it was like to sing in front of an orchestra when we come back after this short commercial break. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. 
Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, and we're here with leading lady Cynthia Dale. Cynthia, what was it like performing with the National Arts Orchestra? Well, I, you know, I haven't done a lot of that stuff with orchestras, you know, just that is Kitchener and, and the NAC. And honestly, I think probably I let my nerves get the better of me a few times in that experience. And I, I know I messed up a few times in that experience, which is not something that I, that I like doing. Um, but what I come away with from that whole thing and a singing with that orchestra, <laughs> I felt like I had God behind me. <laughs> The power of that orchestra, that music that they gave me to lift me and 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 help my my song, you know, come through me. I, I don't see how anyone can not stand in front of an orchestra and sing and not think they're singing with God behind them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What a beautiful gift. What an incredible gift that is. I'm going to get to the film and television. There's so much. But um, you were also a vital part of Triple Sensation, the reality TV series with Garth Drabinsky. What was that like working with Mark? You were the only female with all these wonderful theatrical luminaries like Marvin Hamlish and Adrian Noble and Sergio Trio. I know it like oh, uh, the chills I, again, again, like a phone call. Garth calls me and I, of course, <laughs> I'd known each other for years. And Garth calls and says, you know, I want you to do this. And and you don't say no to Garth. And and uh, I felt like all I needed to do was sit at the knee of Marvin and have him tell me stories for two years. That's all, <laughs> that's all I wanted to do. Um, really, that really, that was it. Mm. Uh, and, and I learned a lot working with them and listening to their stories. I mean, you know, how can you not? Um, it was a great experience and, and I will forever be grateful to Garth for that experience for sure. Let's talk about street legal a huge chapter in your life. You played Olivia Novak for eight years in what was probably one of the most popular television series in Canada with a who's who of Canadian actors, Sonia and Eric Peterson. And <clears throat> I love your story about the audition for that series, how you were playing Tamara in New York. You went to a party till four in the morning. You came back. The old fashioned answering machine had a million messages from your agent. Cynthia, where are you? You got this big audition. Can you tell us what happened? Well, it wasn't a party. We were playing poker. We always <laughs> played poker until the wee hours of the morning. Um, yeah, I didn't even own a little business suit. <laughs> so I had to go out and buy one. You yeah, had to go to Soho to buy one. I was living in Soho and I ran out. I was literally at the door when the doors opened of a, of a store so I could buy a little suit before I, you know, got on an airplane and um, flew to you know, Toronto and my mom picked me up at the airport and they took me to the studio, which was on DuPont Street in Toronto, which is now, I think, condominium and uh yeah i auditioned off c david johnson and um when i got the part they told me to cut my hair and lose 10 pounds 
and they're probably right. I mean, I, you know, I guess because I, you know, was eating, a, eating and drinking a lot in New York City, I guess. But you wouldn't be able to say that nowadays, I don't think. You could no, 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 no. Um, and uh, <laughs> I was on audition every six weeks. They could pick up my contract or not. I was on audition for a whole year, basically. So I didn't know if the if the character was going to work. They didn't know if the character was going to work. Um, so every six weeks I got told whether I was still employed or not. Um, oh, yeah, it was. It, again, I don't think you could get away with that nowadays either. Um, and uh, yeah, she worked. Yeah, she worked. I was very lucky. Um, yeah, the stars aligned on that one. I was very lucky that that group. You were so phenomenal in that series. And I think it was better than L.A. Law. And I wondered at the time, was it a conscious decision not to go south of the border? A lot of actors did that after a huge success. Was it a conscious decision to stay in Canada? I mean, I did, did what every actor does. I went and tried to do pilot season in, in Los Angeles. Um, and I'd done that uh, when I was 24 um, and came back and did Pal Joey. That's when I came back and did Pal Joey. Mm. Um, no, no, no. I, I mean, I tried like everybody tries. And I was in New York when Street Legal happened. So, no, I, I, I would have thought that, you know, maybe I, my career would have done street legal and or, or south of the border after street legal even but i'd met pete by that point and then you know taking the falls came along and i just thought well i'll try that and try that one and and so and then richard called and like and then it was like oh well okay i'll go to stratford for 12 years like who knew you know so yeah you just you never know what's gonna come along really yeah can we talk about that dora maver more word i might even have been there that night i thanked my g-string <laughs> we wore that, in that show that must have been huge though 24 years old you're a young girl winning a dora maver more award that's pretty big stuff in this country yeah but what what was huge was that i got to work with martha henry that's what was huge and and we were all in the same dressing room can you imagine martha oh. henry being in the same dressing martha <sighs> one of my dearest friends now like thank god all the years later we we, we we we're actually closer now but that's what started at that show and and we were in a dressing room together you know there there's these five girls i'm looking at a picture right now up from pal joey in my office uh, of all of us in our g-strings and you know the 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 red hot mamas that we were and martha the queen of canadian theater who i'd literally grown up watching do everything at the strap festival oh. um and so you know talk about sitting at the knee and listening to stories oh my god um that's what was amazing about that show uh and Morris Panitch, Morris Panitch, the Morris Panitch was, was seven my stories. Joey. Oh yeah. my gosh. Seven he, was my Joey. he was Joey, you know? So, and Larry, oh. the, the great, the late, great Larry Lillo was the director and, and like, you know, when I, yes, angels on my shoulders from, from the get go, since I was five years old, I've had angels on my lovely. shoulder. So lovely. Hmm. You've been a stage actress and continue to be a television actress. You were also a film actress and still uh, you did uh, this wonderful The Boy in Blue with Nicolas Cage. You were also in the film Moonstruck. And I love the story of how Cher was off set that day and mm -hmm. shooting schedule had been changed. And you auditioned for Sheila and Moonstruck, but there were six other girls auditioning for the role. Can you tell us what happened? I love that story about you had to stay in the waiting room with the other auditioner girls that were auditioning. <laughs> Yeah, usually you go in for an audition and then you walk out and, you know, 
say good luck to the, everyone else who's there and you, and you leave. Well, they had said to me in the audition, don't leave, which just made it really awkward for all those other women when I came out and just <laughs> stayed sitting there. Yeah, maybe they would have seen somebody who, who they wanted more and they would have come out and said, okay, get out of here. But you had to bring your own clothes that day. You had to bring your own wardrobe or you know, options for them to pick because Cher was sick. And so their shooting schedule changed and that's why they had to put, drop that scene in. Um, and I guess John Mahoney was around and, and Olympia Dukakis. And so it made sense to just find somebody to play that part for the day. Um, yeah. Heady, heady days. Heady stuff, heady stuff. So what people may not realize is that Cynthia Dale, in addition to being a stage film and television actor, is also a recording star and that you've put out these three CDs that are just beautiful. Enchanted, To Dream, and more, all of which can be purchased on your website, which we'll talk about later on in the show, and also, of course, on Amazon. Um, what inspired you to create these CDs? My friend David Hogan. <laughs> my friend David Hogan came to my dressing room um, at, when we were doing Sound of Music, and he said, I think we should do a CD. And I was like, what? Why? What are you talking about? <laughs> Nobody will buy a CD. Like, uh, No, he was, yeah. He, and he said, no, we'll co-produce it together, and we'll, you know, we'll both kick in a couple thousand dollars and we'll get a studio and we'll pick some music and we'll do it. And we literally shook hands and, and that's what we did. And, and, and we, we made some money. We made a lot of money. We were very lucky. Um, Cause we sold the CDs after each show. I did a signing and so um, phenomenal. a lot of CDs. And, you know, a few years ago I thought about doing another one and I, I'm not a touring artist. I don't have a band. It's just not my thing. And people don't buy CDs anymore. You know, you can get your music uh, in a million other ways. And it was, it just, it didn't feel like something that I could do. And also, I don't know how many people ever listen to a whole CD of someone anymore. Yeah. It's just nice to hear your voice. Like I, I like it because it's just nice. So I'm going to have these CDs now in my collection and I can hear your voice. And, and that's quite lovely. When you sang Cynthia for the first time last August, after not singing for months since the pandemic, you sobbed and you said when you started to sing, you couldn't stop crying. Can you tell us what made you so sad and what the tears were about? I cried a lot through that experience. <laughs> uh, the rehearsing here in my little room, my little office. Um, and then the rehearsing when I went to the theater to rehearse um, and sing those songs. It was for the Up Close and Musical series that Stratford Festival has running right now. Um, and I... You were in I just want to say in which you were absolutely wonderful. Oh, and I don't know if you were standing on the festival stage in that yes. gorgeous black gown yes. and, and you looked beautiful and you sounded beautiful. And it was so good to see you back there. And, mm-hmm. and I knew I was thinking there's no audience, but it's still pr- a pretty close second to have you at least singing again and to have us be able to be part of that. It almost felt live in a, in a funny way, but anyway, go ahead. Well, um, I did, I did danced all night for Richard in that concert uh in in that little concert and i bought that gown and wore that gown for richard at his uh goodbye uh gala so i wanted to wear that gown uh when we recorded that last october for richard it's hard i i i you know i didn't have the heart to sing at at the beginning of the pandemic even now it's like i just um it was like it just silenced me up completely. The fear, um, the anxiety, it was like a, a low level um, emotional tinnitus is how I described it. 
um, that uh, I just, I, I couldn't begin to open up and feel the joy of it. Uh, and I think a lot of people felt that way. Uh, I think a lot of people still feel that way. You know, I've had one shot, so I feel like I can't complain the same way, but I, or, or, or feel as bad, but I'm, you know, we're still living through these dreadful half-hearted lockdowns. You know, people complain about, um, you know, what they can and can't do. And, and for the theater world, like it dried up fast for, for, for all my friends, for people like for, you know, it's gone, like it's gone, that world that we had. Um, and so that just made me so sad. I, uh, Cynthia, I understand this on such a deep level. I have a, a daughter who's in third year musical theater at Sheridan and she's scared. And all of these theater grads, like she's not graduating for another year, but the ones that are graduating and her just anticipating it are going, is there going to be theater? And I actually did a little research to find out what was happening in the landscape of theater. Do you see a glimmer of hope? Like, do you feel that theater will be back? Theater will be back. It will. I mean, it can't. The f f weeds come up between stones. You can't, there's things you cannot stop from growing. Creativity will not stop from growing and being. It will happen. Even if it happens in a parking lot, it will happen. Um, it's what, how we knew it will be different because uh, it's going to be a long time before the fear is gone. It's going to be a long time before the ease comes back into our lives. Um, we're supposed to do Follies in Toronto, a, a concert version of Follies, the Stephen Sondheim musical at Kerner Hall. It was supposed to be last October and, of course, got cancelled. It's supposed to happen this year. But who knows? You know, like it, nobody knows really what's going to happen. Yeah outdoor theater maybe for a while but I think it will be back I'm married to a doctor so he always says I promise it will be back so what would you say to theater graduates and to people in the theater what advice would you give to them uh I'd actually say a few things um first of all to any theater any musical theater graduate or anyone my first thing that I always say to them is get a business degree mm -hmm. you yeah. are a business yeah you are a business. Um, uh, you have to pay an agent. You have to pay your taxes. You may have to pay a publicist. You may, you may want to start your own theater company. You may want to get rights for a, for a, a book uh, to, to do a show. There's lots of things you're going to need to want to know. Doing a triple time step just doesn't cut it. <laughs> um, learning a Shakespeare monologue just doesn't cut it. Not in this world. Um, it, you know, Years ago, um, you could do one thing and one thing great. And, you know, in our parents' generation, they were accountants or they were this and, and then they retired and that was that. Now, not just now, the last 15 years, 20 years, people, it's an and, it's an and situation. You do many things. You do this and you do that. It's not a you do this or that. And so you can sing and dance and you can do other things too. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you can be a great photographer. You can like, there's lots of things you can do. Um, so I think it's important to know that uh, as a young performer, that doesn't mean stop dreaming. That doesn't mean that you won't work in this industry. Yes, there will be an industry. It will be different. It will look different. Um, uh, but you know, the ready is, is everything, right? It, you know, keep doing your stuff and be ready for when they come to get you. Okay. Um, 
because they will come to get you. The industry will survive. It will just look different. Absolutely. Cindy, how have you managed to stay afloat during these times? I, I, I've seen that you're a beautiful painter. I actually saw one of your paintings yesterday and I was just struck by it. I liked it on somewhere and it was just gorgeous. What are the things that have kept you afloat and what's the magic that you call upon when things get tough? Uh, the things that have kept me afloat. I love to paint. Um, you know, they're my little isolation creations. I, don't, I haven't done anything with them. I think I probably will sell them at some point. I'll probably put them online to sell at some point. There's one I want to buy. Okay. <laughs> <It's pink. laughs> okay. Um, uh, yeah, I will probably sell, start selling some stuff. Um, uh, I cook, I garden, I read a lot. Um, I cry a lot. I pray a lot. Um, you know, I think I do what everyone else does to get through. I stare at the wall just as much as everyone else does. Um, I text my friend. I couldn't. Get, I couldn't get by without my girlfriend. And like, you know, and uh, like, you just you just hang on. You just you hang, hang on and pray. You hang on and pray and pray. Yeah. And you know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. Finally, there is a beacon of light that's just getting brighter and brighter. And we just have to hang on. And then along came a project up close and musical at Stratford. And as someone who is such a conscientious hard worker as you are, having this project, I think, was great for you. And you killed it. You were so sensational. And we have a clip courtesy of Stratford of you singing What Chance Have I from Cyrano. Can you set this up for us? Uh, Richard Azunian who has been a friend since I was 18 years old and he hired me to work at Young People's Theatre, um, uh, asked me to do this and thank God he did. And even when I sort of said, no, I can't, I can't, I can't sing, I can't do it, I can't do it, I'm not in any shape, I can't do it. And he said, yes, you can, yes, you can, yes, you should, please do it. And he said it again and he said it again and I was really, really glad he did. And uh, we wanted to do a, Can a Canadian song in, in the set that I picked. And I had done this song. Um, I'd in fact worked on this musical at the beginning of it when Rick Fox and Michael Fox wrote it um, uh, with Brent Carver. And uh, he had done the original workshops and I had done some workshops. And um, I didn't want to sing a Roxanne song. I wanted to sing a Cyrano song. And I did this in concert with Rick a few years ago here at the Stratford Festival um, and uh, mixed it in with um, a song from Pal Joey. And it, it worked so beautifully. And so, um, but we wanted to do a Canadian song for the Up Close and Musical show. And, uh, and then, of course, um, it, what made it even better was it was a, a, a musical of Cyrano and I had seen a musical of Cyrano when I was younger with Christopher Plummer in the lead. And I'd oh. seen many, many, many times at the Royal Alexander Theatre uh, when I was younger um, in 1973. In fact, I think I saw it 11 times or something like that. <laughs> and I fell in love with him and I fell in love with the show. This was a different musical of Cyrano. Um, and... Then I got to work with Chris years and years later. Um, and uh, he had not passed away when we recorded this. Um, but I did speak about him in, in the recording. And uh, I was glad that I had um, that I had included him in that because he's sort of all mixed up in this song and my love for him in this song oh, too. That's so lovely. 
has a one woman show ever interested you? Because I don't know. I can so see you on I did one woman concerts. I've done lots of one woman concerts. Yeah. Um, it's about the part. It's always about the part. So yeah. if a part came along, that was a great one woman show about a character, then that would be it. It's like people say, what's your favorite film or TV or, or, or theater? It, it doesn't matter to me what the medium is. It's about the part. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm just in a different place right now. Maybe I don't feel like I, I could or have that capability right now. I don't have that. So I know how you make us feel when you sing. I know that like, it's almost at times a holy experience. You transport us to another place. You elevate our spirit. And I know that there's still something that happens to you when you sing, because I've, I've heard you, I've read what you've said about this, that something happens to you. It's almost like your vitamin B12 shot in the morning. And there's this thing that happens when you sing. What is this thing? Um, well, I get, I mean, I have to think back in a way, because I'm not singing right now, you know, yeah. If you take if you take us back to that stage, to the apron of that stage, in any of these performances, well, that was yeah. See, it was about the parts, so it was the part that was the shot for me. Um, you know, uh, wanting to tell that character's story, um, even an up close and musical. When you wore the dress that you wore for Richard Mitt, and you were standing there, and you finally got it all together, and you were doing it, yeah, have that that kick, that spark. Um, I guess it's about, what is it? It's believing at this point, like I said, at, at 60. And it's not like I'm old, but I'm, I'm older. I'm, I, I don't know. It, it definitely, the vessel feels different now. So the song comes from, some, from somewhere different. Singing, uh, I could have danced all night in October when we recorded that Up Close and Musical was completely different than even the recording that you played. I was a completely different Cynthia. It came from a completely different space inside my being. Um, like when I did Guys and Dolls and, and I played, um, uh, what's her name? Sarah. I was older in that part. Singing about finding love at that age in your life is very different than singing about finding love when you're 21. Right. And so, so that's what I mean with singing I Could Have Danced All Night at 60 was very different than singing it at 40. But how you know? delicious. How wonderful. Yeah, no, I feel really lucky. And because of that. And singing The Impossible Dream at 60 was very different. Um, and so... It comes from a place of um, uh, wrinkles. What can I say? I have lots of- You don't of even have any wrinkles. You oh, I have tons of wrinkles. And I have lots of wrinkles inside and that's okay. And you can't have got to 60 and not have tons of wrinkles inside. And and I, I, I am happy with my wrinkles. I don't, I haven't changed my wrinkles. That doesn't mean I like them. I hate them, but I, but I, they're there and I'm living with them and they're all there inside me too. And I'm living with them and singing through them too. It's like Shirley Valentine, right? You embrace the wrinkles. That would be a really cool part. The musical version of Shirley Valentine. <laughs> oh, I'd love to look into that. What is bliss for Cynthia Dale? Today, right now, uh, being out in my garden, seeing my tulips come up. The tulips that I bought, the bulbs last year on a day where I went and bought a plant for my boy. We, we, the two of us went to a nursery together in the West End in Toronto and bought a tree for his condo, for his apartment. And that meant more to me, buying 
something, he wanted a tree, he wanted something living for his apartment. That was bliss. And so I, I, I am looking forward to the tulips that coming up that I bought that day because it'll take me back to that moment. Because really, um, bliss is, you know, being a mom, being with my boy. I love that. That's so beautiful. Oh, Cynthia, what is the best way for people to follow you on social media and to see your website and all of this wonderful stuff that you that you do and that you have done and that you I know will continue to do? What is the best way to do all of that? Uh, I'm on Instagram, Cynthia Marie Dale on Instagram. That's probably the best way. Um, I'm on Twitter sometimes. Um, And your website. I love your beautiful website. Yeah, I, I get, you know, cause I'm not working. I don't put stuff on my website anymore. I don't, so it's there, but I, <laughs> I probably haven't updated it in over a year or more. Um, you know, like, cause like in pandemic, right? Like I was looking for a check yesterday to write a check for somebody and I, I couldn't find my checkbook or like, I know it's <laughs> so that? crazy. I want to thank you so much, Cynthia, for being on the show today. I, it, it truly has been an honor. And I think you know that. I think you could see, hear that in my. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Really. My you, honor. You will forever be Canada's sweetheart. And you are always a joy to watch and to listen to. And a star that will continue to shine brightly. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back. This is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. Please write to us at FYB at FindingYourBliss.com. Also, we encourage you to visit our online magazine at FindingYourBliss.com. And of course, you can always follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. In Bliss News, we have a fantastic Mother's Day giveaway courtesy of My Sweetie Pie Bakery. In honor of all the mums out there, Sweetie Pie is giving away a handmade, delicious nine-inch pie this Mother's Day. All you have to do to enter is go to at the Bliss Minute on Instagram for all the contest details and follow at mysweetiepie.ca and at the Bliss Minute. The contest closes today at 6 p.m. And happy Mother's Day, everyone. Also, big thank you to our supervising producer, Mag Ruffman, production manager, Siobhan Kiley, PA researcher and editor, Haley Allegia, audio producer, Faz Kazi, and to everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. This show has been recorded by Zoom. I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. 
Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.